This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Yes, thank you, Diva. So good. Um, Well, my name is Ron Hunt, for those of you who are brand new. And uh, I am the lead pastor of our church right now, and very privileged to be able to do that. I'm going to get to teach us over the next few minutes about something super important, but I want to say something before we get into any of that. Um, In defense of our admin team, we actually had the right QR code in that brochure last week, but somehow the company that generated it accidentally deactivated about 150 of them. And we were one of the privileged few, which was such a bummer. Uh, They have apologized profusely. We have it corrected. We printed all new brochures. So that brochure, we've tested it. At least we tested it earlier this morning, and it was still working. So we're good. Secondly, at the end of our service, we're going to be celebrating communion. And uh, you should have been offered uh, a little communion kit on the way in. If somehow you missed it on the way in, I want to invite you right now there on the tables in the back to go. In our church, communion is an optional thing. No one is ever pressured to take communion. But if you want to take it, I want to give you the opportunity to get it now and not have to get up in the middle of the service later. So we are in the middle of a series called Thrive. And I just have to confess, I love that word. It just conjures up all sorts of great images in my head. I like to be around people who are thriving. I like to be around plants who are thriving. Um, I just like thriving in, in sort of every context. And I think sometimes it's easy for us to forget a central part of what Jesus taught us. And so we're going to start at that point. But before we get to that scripture, I just want to say again, for all of you who are brand new, whether you're online or whatever, this material is material that will be in a class that is taught regularly at our church. And it will be a class for people who are new to our church. We'll teach it every three to four months because we want everyone who comes into our church to know that our agenda for them is that they would thrive. It's the whole reason our church exists. Let's go back to something Jesus said And it was actually a focal point of his ministry. You'll see it on the screen. Jesus said, the reason I have come, the reason I left heaven, the reason I was born in that little nativity scene that you and I are going to set up in our house shortly, all right? The reason I was born, the reason I taught, the reason I died, and the reason I was raised to life is actually so that people may have life and have it to the full. Now, I need to put a caveat in here because there are people who have taken this scripture and a handful of others 
and they have developed what we typically call the health and wealth gospel. You know what I'm talking about? Jesus wants all of us to be rich and healthy. No, no, no. He didn't say, the reason I have come is so that you may be rich. Doesn't say that, does it? He doesn't even say, the reason I have come is so that you can all have long health and die in your sleep in your old age. Even though we'd all like that, right? Jesus said, the reason I have come is so that you could experience what it's like to be fully alive. And if that's why Jesus came, then as a church, that's what we're about. We want you to thrive. I want to thrive. Now, from a study of Scripture, what Jesus taught, and Peter and Paul and the other apostles, it's very clear that there are three church-related ways that you and I can grow our faith and thrive. And here they are, gather, groups, and give back. Let's read it together. Ready? Gather, groups, and give back. Those are three things that you and I can participate in that, will, that are actually designed by Jesus, not by us, but they will help us grow in our faith and thrive in this life and in the life to come. Now, it strikes me that there is both a public and a personal side to this. Last week, we focused on gather, and that's a very public thing. Where we are today is very public. Anybody can come. Everybody's loved. Everybody's welcomed. Everybody's brought in. This is a very public thing. But there's also a very personal side to growing our faith. And I didn't put it up here this morning, but at some later date, we'll also teach you there's a private side to growing our faith as well. It's very convenient. They all begin with P, right? <laughs> Public, personal, and private. It's easy to remember, all right? So last week we talked about the public side. This week we're going to delve more into the personal side of growing our faith. And here's an observation that we can make through the reading of, of the writings that are captured in the Bible about the church as it was set up by Jesus and his apostles from the earliest of times, Jesus' followers have made meeting in small groups a key part to the rhythm of growing their faith. From the earliest of times. And in fact, I'm going to take us through a little tour of Scripture, and there's so many Scriptures we could put up here, but I think I've got four maybe that we're going to look at, where we're going to see what that looked like in real life for the churches that were personally under the direction of people like Peter and Paul, people who were personally trained by Jesus. And the first one you'll see up on the screen, it says, Paul is writing, and Paul says, to this church in Rome. And Rome was a vast city. It was the capital of the world in Paul's day. He says, now listen, give my best to Prisca and Aquila. They have put their lives on the line to keep me safe. Now, Paul's writing from prison, okay? So his life's in danger. Somehow Prisca, which you read in other translations, is, is Priscilla. 
and Aquila have somehow risked their lives to minister to Paul while he's in prison. And he goes on to say, not only do I owe them many thanks, and so do all the churches of the non-Jews. And then he says this, send my regards to the church that meets in their house. So this letter was written to the Big C Church at Rome, and it becomes very clear that the Big C Church was this large group of, of Christ followers, but they often met in individual homes, what we would call small groups. Some churches call them house churches. Some churches call them life groups. If you've been in New Life for a long time, you could call them either life groups or community groups, whatever your habit is, right? Because I hear you doing it all the time. Okay? If you get the principle, I don't care what you call it. Okay? It's just how they did it. Now, they had another reason for doing it. Rome was a huge city. And you couldn't get on your horse and ride to the other side of town to go to church like we can get in our cars and drive a long ways. So their churches had to be mostly within walking distance. So it was very normal for them to meet in these small group settings because you went to a small group of people that lived in your community because you couldn't ride anywhere else. You had to walk. But there was such a huge benefit to that. Here's a second scripture. Again, Paul writing, and this time to the church in Colossae, a smaller city, but still a pretty good-sized city, and Paul writes this, send my well wishes to the brothers and sisters of Laodicea. That was a town right next door to Colossae, especially Nympha and the church that meets in her home. Now, here's kind of a cool thing. Uh, if you come to church here and have for any length of time, you know that New Life is an egalitarian church where we use men and women equally in leadership and in ministry because we are all God's children created with spiritual gifts to serve. It's pretty clear in the early church that they used women as hosts, not just to host a meeting, but Nympha might well have led this church that met in her house. So you have another place where the church is sort of meeting house to house. Let's go to a third scripture. Paul again, a prisoner of Jesus, the anointed one, with our brother Timothy, to you beloved Philemon, our fellow worker. Now Philemon was a personal friend of Paul. And the background of this letter was Philemon had a servant who ran off and ran apparently to either Rome or Corinth, wherever Paul was at the time, and somehow looked up Paul, and this servant's name was Onesimus, and Paul and Onesimus became great friends, and Paul led Onesimus to become a follower of Jesus, and taught him and baptized him, and now he's sending him back to Philemon, and he's saying to Philemon, look, I know you can make him a slave again but I'm asking you not to. 
because Jesus has set him free. Be kind to him. It's such a touching letter. But listen to what he says to him. He says, and give my best to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, a fellow soldier, and to the church that gathers in your house. So Philemon had a church that met in his home, and he was in the city of Colossae. Now I want to read, uh, I just read to you that there was also a church that met in Nymphos home in that same town, Colossae. Because the church was a big church meeting in different places. That's always been God's pattern for his church. And finally, I'll take you to Acts chapter 20, where Paul says, you know, and he was talking to a group of church leaders from a big city called Ephesus that had a big hall where they met. You can read about that in the book of Acts. But they also met in these homes. And Paul says this, you know, I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you. That's the concept of thriving, but have taught you publicly, that's in the big hall, and from house to house. So, together, we are a large and growing public community of Jesus followers. That's what we are here. We are a large and growing community, public community of Jesus followers, but we are also a collection of smaller personal communities. There's a bunch of them in our church. Here's what I want us to know, because it's really what Jesus taught, and that is to thrive. Jesus knew that we needed the dynamic of large group gatherings, but he also knew we needed the touch of a small circle of trusted fellow Christ followers. That's hard to say, fellow Christ followers. You can't say that very often, very fast. But we need that touch. Wow. Now, as I said last week, the great thing about being a Christian today is we have 2,000 years of experience to draw on. That's kind of cool, don't you think? We have 2,000 years of history to look back at the church across the face of the world in culture after culture, country after country, city after city, we can look at 2,000 years of experience and we can begin to say, huh, maybe this is why Jesus calls us to gather in small groups. Because these are the things that we see happening when Christ followers gather in small groups. So I've got five of them for us this morning. Why be part of a small group? Number one, because in a relational community, and that's what a small group is, we can see and be seen. We can hear and be heard. We can know and be known. And you put those all together. We can love and be loved. People who study human behavior tell us that every one of those is absolutely vital to the human spirit 
in order for us to thrive. I need people in my world who don't just see me. I need people in my world who really see me. And you do too, right? Yeah. And there are ways that you and I can come to church. Oh, good morning. Good to see you. It's a beautiful day. Good to see you. Good to see you. And then there's a handful of people who actually see us. I got a phone call this last week from somebody who wasn't even here. They watched online, but they have known me for years. And they said, Ron, the reason I'm calling you is I want to find out if you're okay. I said, well, as far as I know, I am. (laughs) And they said, I saw in your mannerisms and I heard in your voice that you might be tired. Now, you might have different opinions about that. That's okay, okay? What I want you to see is that was someone who was really trying to see me. Not just see my image on TV or see me here on the stage. It's important that all of us feel seen. It's important that all of us feel heard. But here's the amazing thing. When I focus on trying to be seen, and I focus on trying to be heard, and I focus on trying to be known, and I focus on trying to be loved, usually I'm disappointed on all four levels. But when I focus on trying to actually see people and trying to actually hear people and trying to actually make sure that people are known as they are and loved as they are, there's this crazy thing that happens. I feel seen, I feel heard, I feel known, and I feel loved. Now listen, if that's the only reason I could give for you to be part of a small group where you could thrive, that should be enough, right? That's crazy important stuff. In a large group setting like this, it's really hard to see and be seen. It's really hard to hear and be heard. It's really hard to know and actually be known. And it's really hard to be effectively loved in this setting, as great as it is. But in a small group, every one of those things naturally takes place. Reason number two. Because when we intentionally walk together and share honestly from our experiences, we inspire each other to pursue Jesus in our own stories. Modern psychotherapy is not as modern as you might think. Years ago, I visited the town in what is today modern-day Turkey, the town of Pergamos. And Pergamos was known across the Roman Empire as a place 
where if you struggled with mental illness and depression, you could go there and they would treat you. Hello. <laughs> Did you know that shock therapy is more than 2,000 years old? It's not modern at all. Now, this was before electricity. So here's how they did shock therapy. They put you in a tunnel and you walk down the tunnel. And as you got to certain parts, they would pull rocks off of openings where the sunlight light would flood in. And it was a room filled with poisonous snakes. How's that for shock therapy? That's kind of crazy, right? I'm not making this stuff up. They did that. But you know what else they did? They had a tunnel called the Tunnel of Hope. And as you walked down this tunnel, there were small openings about every 15 to 20 feet. And they had people up above the openings saying and whispering down through the openings, you can do this. You can win. Life can be good. It's going to get better. Now, it's kind of a primitive form of therapy, right? But it spoke volumes to the people walking through the tunnel of hope. Listen, when we intentionally walk together, and we authentically and openly share our experiences in life. We inspire each other to lean into Jesus and to draw closer to him. And in the process, he helps us thrive. That's really hard to do here, isn't it? But really easy and natural to do in a small group. Number three. Because when we listen to one another and we listen for one another, wow, that's kind of cool. Have you ever listened for somebody else? If you haven't, I want to invite you this morning to start that process. Let me, let me explain to you how it works. And when we speak into each other's lives, we're playing our part in helping us all hear God's voice. Unfortunately, the default setting in most churches is to view God as one who cares, but is somewhat distant and definitely not personally involved in our lives, except for when we mess up. And the, the sort of the basic idea is he wrote it all down in a book, and it's our job to read the book and understand the book and to do what it says and if we do that good enough, God smiles and blesses us. And if we don't do that well enough, he's mad at us and withdraws his blessing. And he might even curse us. And if we don't get it figured out before we die, we're going to fry. <laughs> do you realize? I love this book. I love this book because in this book, I have learned that God is my father. And I'm not in love with the book. I'm in love with my father. In this book, I have learned that Jesus 
not only would do anything for me, I learned that Jesus did give his life for me. I love Jesus way more than I love this book, even though I dearly and deeply love this book. But did you know that God has things he wants to say to me that are not written in this book? Now, nothing he says to me will contradict what he has said to me in this book. And if I get a message that's different than what I hear in this book, I need to reject that message and recognize that didn't come from God. But there are so many things that God wants to say to me today that he did not write down 2,000 years ago in this book. There are things that God wants to say to you today because you're his child. What father doesn't speak to his kids? What father writes a letter 2,000 years ago and then runs off and says to his kids, figure it out and don't call me? That's a terrible father. God's not that kind of father. So he has these things he wants to say. Now, at a future date, God willing, we'll do a whole teaching series on how to hear the voice of God because I don't know how you go through life and not hear from God. You can't thrive and not hear from God. But for this morning, I want all of us to know that one of the ways that God speaks to us is he speaks to us through the people in our lives, particularly this morning, those in the context of our small group. And you and I, not only have the privilege of praying for the people in our small group, but listening for them. God, do you have anything, any message that you want to give to the people of our small group or to a person in my small group and you want me to be the one who says it to them? There's an amazing thing that happens when you and I, without being intrusive and without being judgmental, we all have people like that. Well, I know what you should do. First of all, God never speaks in that tone. So if you want to come and give me one of those messages, I'll know where you got it. And it wasn't from God. Okay? But without being intrusive, and without being judgmental. It's such a great thing when we can say to each other, I was praying for you this week, and I feel like God wanted me to say this to you. Friends, that's beautiful. That's how the kingdom of Jesus it's supposed to work. Reason number four. Because when we look for ways to serve each other in a relational community, we become the church to each other. Church is not something you go to. It's who you are. Right? Did you know there are 45 different things just in the writings of Scripture to Christians and churches? I'm talking about the New Testament, the back half of this. There are 45 different things 
that we are told to do for each other and with each other. And almost none of them can be done in this setting. A handful could. But the vast majority of them are done best in a small group setting. Yeah. It's difficult to forgive one another in this setting, right? But you know, in a small group, you might get that privilege. And by the way, the people in your small group, let's just say you've got a deep hurt buried in your life because of your dad or your mom or an uncle or uh, a grandparent or a teacher or a former spouse or a child. You got a deep hurt and you have a tendency to hang on to that hurt and nurse it and it's creating a bitterness in your life. And the people in your community group can lovingly say, let us help you forgive and fight freedom. Wow. And so we become the church to each other. And we learn how to live out what Paul wrote when he said, forgive one another. Number five, because God catalyzes our spiritual growth in small group settings in ways that are not available to him, either through large group settings or when we are alone with him. It is God who builds your faith. Two weeks ago, I read a a passage of scripture to all of us where Jesus said, I will build my church. And we learn three things out of that passage. Number one, Jesus builds the church and we don't. Number two, he owns the church and we don't. And he ended up that passage by saying, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. When Jesus builds it and Jesus owns it, it doesn't make any difference what you throw against it. It will not prevail. Because the kingdom of Jesus endures all. Yeah. When God builds your faith, when he catalyzes your spiritual growth and your spiritual growth is not the result of a spiritual self-help course where you're trying to make yourself into a better person by studying the principles of scripture and by golly, if Jesus said it, I can do it. I'll go out and do it myself. God bless you for trying and you'll be better than you were before. But it's not until God catalyzes your spiritual growth that you will begin to become a person you could never ever make of yourself so much better and one of the ways he does that one of the settings in which he does that is the setting of a small group of people that are known by us trusted by us loved by us we are known by them we are loved by them we are trusted by them and when God uses them in a way to catalyze our spiritual growth we will recognize it's not Karen or Sally or Joe or Kurt who's building my faith It is Jesus building my faith through them. 
And that's pretty cool. As we put a bow on this, I'm reminded of what a wonderful Christian leader and leadership authority in our country. Here's how he summarized this. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a follower of Christ that blazes so hot at first and then fizzles and goes to the ground worn out because I went fast, but I didn't go far. I want to be that person that God lights a fire in and it slowly begins to build and it gets brighter and brighter and more and more powerful because it's not just me trying to fan that flame and it's not just me with God saying, God, fan this flame as much as you can. It's me saying to God, You have called me into this group of wonderful people. And together, you are breathing fire into our lives that lights us up in the most beautiful way. And for as long as I live, I want my faith to be growing and my understanding of you to be growing. And I want my relationship with you to be growing. Even when I'm 80 or 90 or more, I'm never done because I don't want to just go fast. I want to go far. I'm going to close with a couple passages of Scripture, three of them actually. The first one is here. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Can you see that we don't walk in this journey with Jesus alone? This is this wonderful way that we can spur one another on, encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And that day is the day of Jesus' return. And I had a pastor say to me, when do you think Jesus is coming back? And there was another pastor standing right next to me, and he was about 70 years old. And you know what his answer was? Well, for me, it's 20 years or less. That's pretty good, isn't it? As you see, the day approaching, it's coming for us all. A good friend of mine who's here this morning When I first pulled into the lot, he pulled up next to me in his car. And he said, Ron, how are you doing? I said, I'm doing great. It's Sunday. He said, I'm doing great too. He said, my mother died yesterday. Those are not statements you usually hear in the same sentence, right? But I knew the story. I knew his mother was 95. He was a wonderful believer. And as he began to unfold the story, his mom got sick, went in the hospital, and very shortly lost consciousness. But a couple of days ago, she regained consciousness for about two and a half hours. And he said, I sat there beside my mother's bed, 
and we had the greatest talk you could imagine. And my mom said to me, I'm not afraid. I know where I'm going. I'm good. And they were able to talk back through their life and how they both found Jesus. It's just beautiful. Listen, encourage and spur one another on. And all the more as you see that day coming. That's what the author of the book of Hebrews said. Here's what Paul wrote. Serve one another in love. It's one thing for me to tell you and encourage you in something I think you ought to be doing, but it gets a whole level deeper when I decide to actually serve you and not just tell you what I think you should be doing. And Jesus invites us to actually serve one another. But it gets even deeper than that. Take a look at this. Peter writes this, show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. I have a confession to make. It's a good one, so you, know, <laughs> you don't have to take notes. <laughs> um, on any given Sunday, I probably say 50 or more times to different people, I love you. If you've been coming to this church any length of time, I've probably said that to you. It's all true. When I tell you I love you, I don't hold anything back. There's no reservations. Because when Jesus tells me he loves me, he doesn't hold anything back, does he? No, I get all of Jesus. I want to encourage you. I know it's hard and it can seem awkward and weird to tell somebody that you love them. But if you're part of a small group in our church, I want to encourage you to start there and to begin to tell the people in your small group that you love them. People come into my office for counseling and I'll ask them questions about their childhood and one of the things that I will ask them is, did your parents love you? And they're always shocked when my next question is, how do you know? And you know how often I hear, well, my dad never told me, but I know he did. And that is sad. When we can look each other in the eye as brothers and sisters in the family of Jesus and say, and there's nothing weird about it, I love you. Friends, that's as beautiful as church ever gets. Would you agree with that? And I want to tell you this. It goes even deeper than that. That's as beautiful as humanity ever gets. 
when people love each other deeply with all their hearts. Now we're going to close our teaching time with communion. And there's a tendency to think of communion as a ritual that Jesus calls us to that somehow means something to him but might not mean a whole lot to us. And maybe for you it means a lot, and that's great. But there's a point of communion that I think is just beautiful. And that is, in communion, we remember the death and the resurrection of Jesus, but we remember the stuff that's connected with it as well. And part of the stuff that's connected with communion is that in Jesus, he calls us together as a family of believers. And in this family of believers, you and I get to take the journey together. And you and I get to actually depend on each other and to support each other and to encourage each other, to inspire each other and to bring out the very best in each other. And so as we take communion this morning, the worship band is going to sing and we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come, not just in this place, but in our hearts and to begin to breathe life into us. And it is a communal life that we all get to share in together. And the worship band has a very special way they want to apply that for us. So I just want to encourage you as they begin to sing about the Holy Spirit to take your communion kit, if you have one, and to open the top and eat the, the, the bread, the little cracker. And remember, it represents the body of Jesus that he gave for you. And to drink the cup and remember it stands for his lifeblood that he gave up for you so that you and I could be in this wonderful thing together. Father, we bless you. We thank you as we take communion now. We do so in your honor and in your name. And we are so grateful you have called us together. And would you help us to walk in this journey as brothers and sisters in your family. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.